Hello and welcome to episode 234 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we're tackling the big questions, faith, family, and puberty. In our review of the coming-of-age dramedy, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. But first, how are you, Scott? Yeah, questions I've been contemplating for the last 15 to 20 years, I'd say. All three, constantly, but on my mind, equally. And uh, No, it's I'm doing well. Like I say, I had a nice weekend, dare I say, not quite as nice as the one you had, but uh, I, I look, I'm, I'm soft pitching it to you. You can talk about your weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, how, how often have I mentioned this on the podcast? I'm just trying to think. At like, least a couple times. You've definitely mentioned it once, at least. Think. I mean, I've, everyone in my life knew what was going on. But yes, I did just last night. In fact, I saw Taylor Swift. Uh, first time ever seeing her. Favorite artist of all time favorite pop culture figure of all time um i was on the 10th row of the floor mercedes-benz stadium it's i still haven't quite processed what exactly that that was real what happened like you know we were at the very end of the stage and actually um we were on the 10th row like i said but it was right where the section started extending out further. And so we were on the extended part of that. So there's actually no row in front of us. It was like a direct line between us and the railing and then, you know, the stage there. Um, and so she came, you know, she would come to the end of the catwalk multiple times during the show and would come there to the corner where we were. And I mean, again, direct line of sight, looking right at us. Every single time it happened, my friend and I, who I went with, just looked at each other and we were like, that is literally her right there. Like, we yeah. we just could not believe it. Um, and all you have to do is time... move to New York and hang out in the West Village and you can see that all the time. Kind of crazy. Uh, no, yeah, not, not really, though, because... I know, I know, I'm Like, kidding. if you see any videos of her, like, leaving a restaurant or something, it's like people pushing her into cars, practically. Like, you can see her for, like, two seconds. It's pretty dramatic, but... Another time she came over there and like, of course, we were all just like waving like crazy at her. And she points to the girl who was sitting next to my friend, friend. so two seats away from me and like waves back. And the girl just looked back at us and we were like, it was you. We were like, she was waving at you. And she was like about to pass away, which I totally understand. But incredible concert, three hours, 44 songs, went through nine of the eras. Loved the secret songs that I got to. I was not disappointed with those at all. Um, and yeah, again, best, you know, live event, best concert, best thing I've ever attended in any capacity. Uh, it lived up to the hype and, and then some, even if you're not a Swifty, like this is just from a staging perspective, a music perspective, you know, just a, a show perspective. It like, you, there's no way you're going to be disappointed by this. Like it is, yeah, like one got to be one of the most impressive stadium shows like ever conceived and executed, obviously, like so many costume changes, the transitions. I mean, that every single thing down to the, you know, the second choreographed, basically. Yeah. I mean, it was funny, like the, the opening acts came on and like Gail was the first opener and like. I was just commenting on the fact that, like she would play her song and like as soon as the song was ending, like before she would even she was finished, somebody was bringing her the guitar like for the next song and she would just like grab it, you know, the the next guitar that she needed immediately start playing the next song. Like again, it was down to a T. They had everything like hell. And, you know, this is a three, four hour show. So anyway, is it three hours. That's just Taylor's part there taylor's right? was yeah three hours yeah no again no breaks other than the transitions between eras and eras. when she would stop and talk to the crowd but there was no encore or anything like that she just you know went straight through was three hours not enough you want an encore now <laughs> yes i would have honestly <laughs> i would have i would still be there right now if she wanted to just keep playing sure uh you know that was what her third or fourth night in atlanta i'm sure she was ready to, to give her vocals a rest i'm sure she was too it was her third third night but honestly you know um it didn't show like she had amazing energy throughout and um that was that was great because that was one thing i was like slightly worried about going into it being the third show but you could never tell like um i, I it seems like the atlanta crowds were really really good um probably the best ones yeah you know uh friday she was kind of blown away by the crowd and then last night she was actually crying at one point um after the crowd's reaction to the song marjorie which is about her late grandmother um so that's not about it was, uh, okay 
What'd you say? I said it's not about Joe. <laughs> no, it's not. But she does sing some songs about Joe still, which uh, is interesting. Sure. Um, but yeah, 100 out of 10 would recommend. Sure. Um, obviously, if you don't have tickets at this point to one of the later dates, you're probably not going to attend. Unless uh, she adds dates. People keep speculating yeah, that she's going to add dates. That's possible. I, I don't know if she's going to add any U.S. dates, but I think international is kind of the next next step. step. But um, anyway. Sure amazing amazing evening beyond words honestly and you took the day off to recover i presume uh yes i did i, I mean i had to drive back from atlanta to charlotte today which was good because um you know didn't get much sleep last night was very wired and uh sure yeah like you said i kind of kind of did need the day to recover and come down so makes sense it would be hard to get any work done today i feel like even if it was in like the concert was in charlotte it would have been hard to oh yeah okay. to get work done today absolutely Anyway, that's that's a swifty corner for you, I guess. We can. <laughs> I don't know if there's talking anything T-Swift. else. Yeah. No, I mean, well, there's always something else when we're talking about T Swift. But I guess we do have a film to talk about uh, today, Scott. Sure. Um, and it's not no the T-Swift. film that Taylor Swift was in last year. The you know, monumental failure of Amsterdam. Thank God she's been in some bad films. Let me tell you, she had been in some bad films. But, Cats, um, Amsterdam, Valentine's Day. What else has she been in? Yeah, we don't need to go on the giver. Those are the three that um, come to mind. The giver she was in. That was apparently that was bad also. But Scott, hopefully you did not find our film for today to be a bad film. That is, Are You There, God, Me, Margaret, the long-awaited adaptation of Judy Bloom's landmark 1970 novel. The first film in seven years from Edge of 17 director Kelly Freeman Craig, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, tells the story of 11-year-old Margaret, played by Abby Ryder Fortson who, as the film opens, learns she is going to be moving away from her home in New York City to the suburbs of New Jersey, leaving her friends, school, and beloved grandmother Sylvia, played by Kathy Bates, behind. Margaret's parents, played by Rachel McAdams and Benny Safdie, try to reassure her that the transition will be smooth. And at first, that seems to be the case, as Margaret makes a fast friend in neighbor Nancy Wheeler, played by Elle Graham. As Margaret interacts with Nancy and her new friend group, one topic seems to dominate the conversation, the girls changing bodies. Soon, Margaret is asking her mother to buy her first bra, and soon after that come the questions about periods, questions that don't necessarily have considering the different stages of development Margaret witnesses in her classmates. At the same time, however, as Margaret reckons with the effects of puberty, she's also having to come to terms with her complicated religious upbringing as part of a research project in school. Raised by a Jewish father and Christian mother, Margaret has been told that she will be able to choose her own religion when she's old enough. But that choice, Margaret soon discovers, comes with a lot of baggage either way. Scott, does Kelly Freeman Craig prove that Bloom's quintessential YA novels, ideas about religion and femininity still resonate over 50 years later? Or does this literary adaptation bite off more than it can chew in its depiction of an adolescent girl's coming of age? I think that the themes definitely still resonate and still ring true. Absolutely. I think that is definitely one of the things that sticks out about the experience of watching this film. I don't know if how crowded your theater was in Charlotte when you saw this movie. Scott, mine was it wasn't anywhere near sold out, of course, but it was a pretty full night uh, up at up at Lincoln Square, which I was I was honestly a little bit surprised by because of Return of the Jedi being re-released this past weekend for its 40th anniversary. I wasn't sure how much uh, oxygen that was going to suck up out of the movie going audience. But I think one notable thing, which I should have thought about before thinking that was that it's a different crowd. (laughs) It was mostly older women, frankly, watching this movie. Um, Some people closer to my age, but predominantly women. And everyone, I think, was really enjoying the film. Some people a little too much. Some people would not shut up next to me. I had this woman who had to commentate the entire movie and oh, it was tough. pretty rough. That was, that was a pretty rough element. That was the worst part of the film uh, for sure. The commentary from the seat literally adjacent to me. Uh, that was a bit of a bummer, but that aside, putting moving that out of the way, I, yeah, I, I was really charmed by this film overall. I think that's probably the, the one, the one word that I would use to describe the experiences that it was, it was charming. Um, I was kind of, I'm not familiar with Judy Bloom's novels. I have not read the novel of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, or any of her other books, I don't believe. But uh, I was really charmed by the amount of sort of earnest um, 
depiction of of childhood that I think, frankly, we don't get that much of. Or and when we do get an earnest depiction, I, I feel like it more often than not doesn't really come across very very well. Almost that doesn't feel quite as well done. And I think this is really well done. I think I would say that there's maybe a little bit. This film probably maybe bites off. I think it does bite off a little bit more than it can chew at times. I think it does feel a little bit. If I had one complaint, I think it feels a bit crowded in the film. There's ultimately like a lot of stuff happening in this movie. There's obviously the interfaith element, the the whole religion element. There's also this almost like Mean Girls esque type plot line as well in the film that is happening. And I think if I had to point to one thing that did not feel fully baked. It was that element. I don't think that's, I don't really put much of a value judgment, good or bad, like whether it should have had more or it should have had less. I just know it didn't have the right amount, probably of what it needed. Ultimately, there is this subplot with this sort of um, earlier blooming classmate of Margaret's and her friends, Nancy Wheeler, and I forget the other two um, girls' names that that um that are in the friend group but there's this like soup it felt pretty half-baked and i feel like there were there was something there it comes to a, a pretty quick resolution where you, you kind of get what's going on here and you can kind of see it but it happens very quickly and i think if i had pointed to one thing i would have wanted more from that but i think that what it does with the sort of family dynamic and the religious element i think is is quite effective i'll be honest i think it's a pretty effective way that it sort of dissects this family relationship that, you know, your mileage may vary, I guess, on how common sort of an interfaith family dynamic might be. But I think the fact that she is presented with this and is sort of coming to it open-mindedly and being pressed in a lot of different directions, pressed and pulled, as a matter of fact, probably from different directions by her grandparents and her parents, all sort of wanting her to do different things um, at the end of the day. I think that it sort of wrestles with that dynamic. And I just frankly found uh, Rachel McAdams and Abby Ryder Fortson to be incredibly charming, effective, really great performances overall in the film. Um, Again, I think it has some shortcomings, but ultimately I think it's pretty hard to walk away with this film, not, not feeling like you had a a really good charmed and earnest time watching it for, you know, the hundred, 105 minutes that it runs. Yeah, so as far as the book is concerned, Scott, I mean, you know, I obviously haven't read it either. I was talking with somebody else about this movie just right before this, actually, and I was commenting on the fact that, you know, we obviously went to an all-boys school from 6th grade to 12th grade, so people weren't exactly talking about Are You There, God, Meet Margaret very much um, at the time when most other people probably heard about this book or found out about Judy Bloom's novels, but it is an incredibly landmark novel and you know one of the more famous sort of novels of its type um for its frankness i mean it's been banned even or it you know it was banned back in the day for its frankness about a lot of these topics um but you know just in portraying issues of of adolescence and puberty from a through a female lens and doing so in an uncompromising way i think um and obviously the, you know the religious angle too as you mentioned and actually judy bloom you know did not want this movie to be or this book to be adapted for many many years it's been over 50 years since the novel was released um but she decided that now was the time because kelly freeman craig sent her a letter saying i want to make this into a movie um judy bloom as a matter of fact uh had seen the edge of 17 and loved it so much that when she saw that that was the person who was reaching out to her that was like that and the fact that she's a partner with james l brooks who produced co-produced the film? Obviously, um, you know James L. Brooks, Oscar winning, I think, the director, writer, terms of endearment, broadcast news, as good as it gets. You know, big time name um, in in the film world, and those two factors are what led her to say, "Yeah, I'm going to make the movie." And I got to say, she put her trust in the right people in this instance. I think because Kelly Freeman Craig, I waited a long time for her to make another film because I absolutely love The Edge of Seventeen. And it was worth the wait. She's definitely not a sophomore slump. She definitely um, is one of the most intelligent filmmakers right now when it comes to depicting teenagers and young people. Obviously, Margaret isn't quite a teenager in this movie, so um, can't 
totally say that that's the case. But um, yeah, I watched this movie, Scott, also with a pretty full theater, also with a lot of women, in fact, girls around the same age as as Margaret, which I thought was great. Um, I for number one, I'm just happy that kids that age are watching a real movie and not other stuff that is in theaters. But um, they were very into the movie. I'm guessing some of them had read the book. They applauded at the end of the movie. Um, literally a, a standing ovation. And I was like, that kind of says it all right there. I feel like, you know, we, we two, you know, 27 year old, 28 year old white dudes can give our opinions on this. Um, and that's all well and good. But I feel like if, 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 you know, 50 years later, 13 year old girls are still giving this movie, like a giving this story, a, a standing ovation, like that speaks volumes right there about, how well the characters, the storytelling, and the themes have endured over time. And I, yeah, I think it's remarkable how well pretty much everything in this movie holds up, especially the religious angle. We'll get into it. We'll talk more about what this movie has to say um, there. But um, I think it's aged very, very well, actually. The the sort of, the, the place that Margaret ends up in with her religious conflict, I think has aged very, very well um, when you look at the landscape of religion today. But um, again, like I said, we'll get into that. I think I'm like almost 100% in agreement with you, Scott, in terms of the one shortcoming of this film. And in particular, I think the Nancy character, and again, we can talk more specifically about it. They got like 90% of the way there with this character. Like I was really liking how they set up the character and how it was a very empathetic portrayal of like the mean girl. And then, like you said, there's a big scene involving her and Margaret is just kind of like, all right, I'm done with you now. Yeah. And the movie is also kind of like... And they ask her. She's now. like not in the film after that. She's, she shows crazy. up one more time again at like the school at the fair end. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And there's like a, a brief moment of like, well, maybe she realized something, but it's it, it's very abrupt. Well, I, I will say like the climactic scene that you're talking about in their relationship, like the fact that nothing is addressed at the end of that scene and, and the, it ends the way it ends, it would be weird, honestly. If you, she then pops up at the end of the film and it's like a change. It would be even weirder if she was a changed person at the end of the film after that. Yeah. So it never gets addressed. Like never talk again through the rest of the movie. And I'm just like, wow, like they they did most of the work on this. What happened? Yeah, it, it is kind of confusing. It makes you wonder what sort of happens in the book with that character. Um, but um, but yeah, it it uh, other than that, Scott, I think everything it holds up remarkably well again the themes and the characters are so likable. Um, it's one of those movies where for the most part, obviously there's some, there's a couple characters who are, you know, set up as purposely not, not likable, but it's one of those movies where for the most part you see, they you can see the best in every single character. Again, like we're talking about with Nancy, like she's a mean girl and whatnot, but there is humanity there in that character. Um, and I appreciated that. Kathy Bates, you know, also kind of a flawed character, but like, you know, again, seems more human because of that. Um, Rachel McAdams, Scott, is incredible in this film and in most films. Um, one of the most versatile people that we have working, honestly. Like, they, I really don't think there's anything that she can't do. Um, and, and this is right up there at the top tier of her performances. We can talk more specifically, but... The cast is amazing, and I think she is the real highlight, though I agree. Abby Ryder Fortson, very, very, um, you know, promising first lead role for her. You know, we have seen her in the Ant-Man films before, but, yeah. um, but you know, this is sort of a big breakthrough opportunity for her. Um, you understand, again, why um, Judy Bloom and Kelly Freeman Craig felt like she was the right person to play this sort of iconic character. Um it's is just there, such is a charming a bloom verse judy bloom has a cameo in the film well and there are quite a few of her novels that are in the works right now from what i understand like other other stories um sure. like i would wouldn't be surprised if there is you know something of, of a run on these judy bloom stories which is funny because she's like 84 85 years old now it's funny that it's taken this long but maybe some of it mostly her doing it seems like yeah yeah maybe so but um I can't imagine she is not pleased with how this turned out. And like you said, I think at the end of the day, the movie is pretty dang irresistible. Like 
Um, you know, we're, we're not necessarily the target audience. Maybe I am because I just, you know, I love these coming of age movies and stuff like that. But um, in terms of a lot of the topics that the movie covers is not necessarily stuff that we will ever experience, Scott. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed the heck out of it. It's one of my favorite movies this year. Um, yeah, it's just so charming. Very, I don't know if understated is quite the right word, but it, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't really have the big scene or big moment or anything like that. It, it keeps things at a very realistic level, I feel like, throughout, which is something that obviously resonates with me in a lot of movies. So absolutely loved it. I'm probably going to go see it again um, next weekend. I Yeah, I, th- I, I, I love this movie. Um, Scott, let's talk about the cast a little bit more. You sure. mentioned um, Abby Ryder Fortson is the lead of the film. Like I said, she is most known for playing Cassie Lang, the young version, and the first two Ant-Man films. Um, obviously now has been succeeded by Catherine Newton. So good on her for getting out of the MCU. She, she did her MCU card. She cast her MCU card to start her career. And now she can go make real movies so yeah it's kind of crazy she said um you're putting jonathan majors in a film i'm out is actually what she said (laughs) i've heard the rumors Um, she she was in the loop on it 15 year old 15 years old but um i've heard the rumors starting with her scott what did you think about her performance you know she there are big names in the cast here but she is really called upon to anchor this film her name is in the title she's in almost every scene she narrates parts of the film um it's a big role for, like I said, uh, she's 15 now, I believe. She was even younger when the film was made. So did she nail it? I think she did. I mean, you were singing the praises there a few moments ago of Rachel McAdams. I think I even I liked her Abby Ryder Fortson's performance even more just for me personally. I was a big fan of it. I thought she sort of bore that um, weight. What's the right word? I don't know. She bore the weight of the film. I think as good as Rachel McAdams is, she's a supporting character in the movie. And I think that it does, the film does really rely on Margaret coming through as a relatable 11 year old or whatever. Right. Um, She's 11, 11 in the film. Yeah. 11. Yeah. Yeah. She's going into sixth grade. So I think just so much is dependent on it. I think she benefits from having uh, such an empathetic actress like Rachel McAdams as uh, you know, the main supporting role in the film and her mother. And she has, many scenes with her but i think even in the scenes outside of that she's able to like she's just able to sort of cast a warmth and and endear herself to at least to me as the viewer really effectively and you know from the moment she sort of steps off that camp bus at the beginning of the film you just sort of instantly feel like you're rooting for her right whatever's going to happen you feel like you're rooting for her and i think that again maybe one of the charms of the film and one of the you know, sort of X factors of the of the source material and Judy Bloom as an author is that yes, we are 27, 28 year old guys, as you've said already, but it does like puberty is still a relatable topic and is still a sense memory. Like that time period in our lives is something that it still has a very powerful sense memory, at least for me, associated with it. And obviously the experience that she's going through is not the same as the one that I went through or the one that you went through, but it does feel like there's these sort of core core truths or core tenets that yes, it is that there is the, there is a specificity in the experience in the movie that I think has an overarching or more generalizable theme to it. And, and you know, it, I think it's special for its specificity, but I think it's also relatable for its you know generalizability as well. And I think that she's able to sort of convey that and carry that through to sort of audiences of all ages Again, most of my audience was older. Yours was a bit younger with kids. There were some kids in my audience, but it was a lot of older women who I assume had read the book when they were younger and, you know, just wanted some sort of counter programming to, you know, insert whatever we watched the last few weeks. I don't even remember at this point. And Bo is afraid. Counter programming to Bo is afraid. <laughs> I'm sure that's really how they were thinking about this yeah. film. Is. Yeah, well, it's either this. Well, or you so like Lincoln Square, or whatever, if I could, I could pull up my phone and look at it, but it's like Sisu. Return of the Jedi, Bo is Afraid, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Like, you know, that that's a different... Yeah. All four of those movies are a different audience than what sure. was in my theater uh, last Friday night. And I think that, that it was effective. I'm like, they didn't stand and applaud at the end of the movie, but there was no detractors uh, at the end of yeah. the film. I'll say that much. And so I think... And I think... I really do think that that comes down to 
whether Abby Ryder Fortson can can pull through. And I think I think she did. She was super charming. Yeah, you're right. It is almost like a just an instant thing from that first scene. She just has it. Um, and you, yeah, you like her. You're you're like, OK, I will go to battle with you. Um, uh, like which, you know, you kind of have to over the, the course of the movie, even when she, you know, makes some questionable choices, I guess it's specifically in terms of the, the friend group. I mean, not necessarily getting in the friend group because you understand why she would be drawn to to that initially. Sure. But, you know, some of the choices that she makes as she's trying to imitate the behavior of the girls or. Try I, I mean, there's even there, like I, I forget what, what the other two girls names are. But like, I mean, Nancy is like the bad actor in the friend group. Like, yeah. You can kind of see like why she would hang around in the friend group. Yes, there's Nancy, who I think has this sort of magnetism about her, because, like as the popular girl. But is it Laura and. Janie, I don't remember the other two girls' names, but like, Laura is the the girl who is more developed. I think Gretchen is the other girl's name. I think it's okay. Gretchen and Janie. Yeah, Gretchen and Janie. Well, the black the black girl who I don't that's know Janie, which one. Yeah. That's Janie. I'm mm-hmm. like Janie seems like a really great person. I'm not gonna lie. Like, Janie, yeah. Janie seems like yeah. a great a great guy. She goes here. along with Margaret, like when Margaret kind of has a shift in her character. Yeah, it, it's yeah. clear that they both have qualms about the way that Nancy and you know maybe even um sorry what's the other girl's name Gretchen Gretchen. Our behavior. It's just like Mean Girls. <laughs> a different point. God, it is really. I guess it is. Anyway, it's relatable because, like, yes, there is this sort of popular girl bad energy going on, but there's also people in this friend group who are like nice and behave well, for the lack of a better way to phrase it, who seem like reliable and good friends, unlike Nancy, maybe. So it's almost like even in the friend group choice, you can kind of see it. But yeah, anyway, like you, you're you're always on Team Margaret throughout this movie, which I think. You kind of need to be because, again, she's she's anchoring the movie. She's the heartbeat of the movie. And she is very believable. I mean, part of that comes with good casting, right? Like they cast, again, someone who looks like they could be an 11 year old. Um, something that we take for granted nowadays because it's crazy that she replaced Ben Platt in this role. They had actually cast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right, yeah. Originally. <laughs> um, makes you wonder what Judy Bloom was really thinking on that one. But uh, they 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 corrected in the end. Thank goodness. But. <laughs> um yeah i i don't have too much more more to say like you you just you really warm up to this character right away she just kind of has that indelible screen presence about her yeah um, and, and even and that. even with like the there there is you talk about the narration and and there are elements that are like for the lack of a better way to put it like kitschy you know a bit maybe like over earnest like your typical like 11 year old angst i would call it mm-hmm. But I think she's able to sell that in a way that didn't turn me off. I think that's like the biggest sort of like pit, like potential pitfall for the character is like, is this going to come off as too, just too much? Like I'm not, I don't, I don't, I just don't want to deal with this 11 year old's BS. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think she sells it really effectively. And I, again, I think that is a combination of Bloom as the you know source material, but also the performance still being endearing in those in those ways. Yeah, she's not overly precocious, I guess is the way to put it. No, not not at all. Not not in a way like and and again, this is a movie that uh, was trying to exist in a much more heightened world than this is. So it may not even be the best comparison point, but a movie like White Noise, for example, where all the kids are, you know, talking like they're college professors, like they're Adam Driver. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, You don't get any of that where it's like. Would an eleven-year-old really be, you know, doing that? Yeah, take that, Noah. Do you want to write kids? Get out of here. No, that's no. That's why I made the qualifier of that movie is obviously trying to exist in a different universe. But um, it's got supporting cast in this movie. You know, we've talked about the major. I think the major players here would obviously be Rachel McAdams and Benny Safdie as the parents, Kathy Bates as the grandmother, and you could probably also throw Elle Graham in there, who plays Nancy, the you know main mean girl that we were mentioning there. Sure. Um, there's, you know, other characters as well, but I think those are kind of the main players here. I got to yeah. hand it to you first. Like you talk about Rachel McAdams. I mean, I, I feel like I sure. sort of went to bat for who I thought was my favorite performance. And I'd love to hear from you first about Rachel McAdams. Yeah, she just makes it look effortless. Um, honestly, to me, like that, that is kind of my takeaway from the performances. Just like instantly right away. And we've never even seen her really play a mom character, I feel like before. I mean, she obviously she's in her 40s, like she is a mom in real life. Like it's not like it's implausible or anything like that, but we've never necessarily seen her in this role. And it's just like, 
immediately again kind of like we're saying with with um with margaret but even more so with her it's like immediately like sure yeah she's she's the mom like i totally believe it like i totally believe she is the mom who's giving up her art teaching that she loves um for the betterment of her family and is like you know trying to to do her best trying to be involved because she has an art too right you know she is like going to the pa meetings and pta meetings and volunteering for everything she wants to be like a normal mom she wants to have like a normal family you know she's trying to buy furniture for the house yeah so that they just look like a nice normal and she totally nails she totally nails it as like the the mom who's just a little bit different i guess um but is trying her best to not be she has a great scene where she gets to explain to margaret what happened with her parents because it's a mystery to margaret brutal scene Yeah. yeah and we learn through basically her giving a monologue about what happened, which is that her parents basically disowned her because she is from a Christian family and was going to marry Benny Safdie, who's Jewish. Um, and they, they basically disowned her. They don't reconnect until very briefly later in the movie. Um, and obviously that goes south. But um, yeah. she gets to explain that to Margaret. And I mean, again, perfect. Like it could have been one of those like big Oscar moment scenes or whatever, but like, she just plays it exactly right. She doesn't go too big or over the top or anything with it. Like, um, it's just, you know, somebody who has experienced real pain is what it feels like you're watching and um, now has the the added pain of having to tell her 11-year-old daughter why her grandparents are not in her life and probably never will be because they're, you know, have these har- this horrible prejudice, honestly um so she's just great i mean uh, we don't appreciate her enough i think as an actress because like i was saying she is she's so not versatile. working that much she's not doing that many projects i know uh she is so versatile like obviously we know she can do comedy from mean girls and game night we know she can be a romantic lead in a lot of films about time one of my favorites um she can do serious dramas. Her one Oscar nominated role was Spotlight. It's crazy. She's only been nominated for one Oscar, by the way. But Spotlight was her one Oscar. What, what other movie role. would you say she should be nominated for? Just out of curiosity. Uh, yeah, that, I mean that that's probably fair. I mean, About Time. I I love that movie. It's not necessarily a Oscar type movie, but she is great in that. But yeah, it just feels like she's always hitting home runs and everything that she's shown up in. Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I mean, this is the crazy thing, Scott. I was just looking because I was curious what what are the last five or six projects she's done. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Eurovision Song Contest, the Mm -hmm. Netflix Will Ferrell, which she is great in, even though it's not a great movie. Sure, sure. Game Night, a film called Disobedience, and then 2016's Doctor Strange. That that those are the last five movies that she's done before this. Obviously, Spotlight right before that, but. Like it's kind of a that's that is disobedience is supposed to be pretty good I think that's seven years and she's done five movies that's she's not very busy yeah which again I don't I don't understand I don't know if it's a personal choice or if she's not getting the work but she should be getting the work because you could cast her in anything I think and I would believe it like again this is this is a new role for her I guess that we then we've kind of seen her play in the past but it mm-hmm. takes five seconds for you to believe uh, believe her and. And, you know, one thing I like about the story of the movie is that they're really the parents in both cases, in the case of the mom and the dad, are good people. Like, again, this is kind of what I'm saying up front, that it sees the best in everyone. But there isn't really any parental strife here. Like they, they are good role models for her. Like when Margaret says, I want to go buy a bra, her mom is like, OK, let's do it. Takes her, you know, she answers her questions about periods and all that when she asks about that um like margaret has a little narration at one point too where she's like i think it's after her mom has told the story about what what um you know the story with her parents and um she says you know i i you know i just feel bad that my mom had to go through this or whatever she's a good person like this shouldn't and you see that again you see that part of that is mcadams but i thought that was a nice change from what you see in a lot of coming of age movies where there is a lot of, you know, argument between the the child and the parents, that's sort of the, the source of a lot of the tension in the movie. Obviously you think about Lady Bird and stuff like that, you know, as so much 
um, centered on the relationship with the parents. Um, you know, it's part of Edge of Seventeen. Even it's part of um, Kelly Freeman Craig's last movie. But um, that was that was a nice twist that they found other areas to you know devote the tension. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, that was a side point. Scott, any other thoughts on the other supporting performances or on Rachel McAdams? I guess. I mean, I I liked Benny Safdie as well as the dad. No, yeah, I think you covered Rachel McAdams pretty well. I don't know if I'd have too much more to add, but yeah, the sensitivity she brings to the role. I think one of the things that you were saying there at the end around the sort of role model type parent that she is, you know, maybe that's idealistic. I don't know, but I feel like we don't have that many really great enduring examples of like great parents in films um, in, in that, that are central and like present in the, in the movies. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure there are plenty of examples of like, Oh, the, a couple scenes here and there where this person has a good parent or whatever. But yeah, I, I sort of appreciated that about the film because so many times I feel like in, in dramas, I know this is a mix of comedy and drama, but so many times in dramas, right. It, you know, you got, you have mommy or daddy issues. You don't get good parents and them. And so it was kind of refreshing to, to get that. I do echo that. And I think Rachel McAdams really delivered on sort of that promise of the film. Benny Safdie, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just must, I'm of the mindset that Rachel McAdams' parents in the film just watched Uncut Gems and be like, stay away from these Jews. Um, that, that just must have been their reaction and why they weren't a fan of Benny. But no, obviously I joke. I think he's, yeah, I was, I was frankly, when I first saw him on the screen, I was like, Safdie's in this movie? Uh, and was a little bit confused. But yeah, no, I, he has this sort of weird endearing charm to him as well sort of like the whole film for me and uh, i thought he was pretty good i mean he's i don't think he's asked to do that much he's definitely the lesser of the of the sort of roles of the parents and but when he's asked to sort of be a bigger presence especially when you think about the scenes where all the grandparents are gathered in one place and he sort of has to step in i think he has these these moments of of brilliance in there that he slips in so i did really like that I will say this isn't a statement on the performance. If anything, I, I like this performance, but the Echo Kellum, who plays the teacher, Mr. Benedict, mm-hmm. um, really liked his performance and was frankly quite disappointed that they didn't do more with that character. Sort I of like Nan. I mean, I said that if I had one complaint, I guess my second complaint would be this. Um, I thought that they set up again of this sort of mentorship like relationship. He is this person who's pushing Margaret to explore and think more about religion as opposed to sort of not thinking about it because her parents just say, don't worry about it right now. And I think that there was a lot of potential to develop that relationship further, but he's also sort of relegated to a final scene at this fair where uh, Margaret just shows sort of great appreciation for whatever he did for her, which we don't know because there really aren't that many scenes after he sort of sits down and talks with her about, you know, why she should do religion as her sort of, year-long project which we never see what the year-long what the results of that year-long project even were yeah by the way. very strange she, stuff and she says you know at the end like their last scene she's like oh you were a really good teacher or whatever and i'm like i'm not sure that we really saw that like you know it's obvious that like you said he's encouraging to her um i wouldn't but... even say encouraging i mean he is encouraging but it's like the i think he's challenging her to to push yeah. herself in a way in like a social way in yeah. terms of what, what she's exploring about herself yeah, so I don't disagree with that. But uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Benny Safdie, like between Licorice Pizza, Stars at Noon, and now this, like he's becoming like a character actor. Where he's I'm, he's like, becoming he, a that guy. He's becoming yeah, a he that is. guy. When he pops yeah. up, I'm like, heck yeah. Like, let's let's get some Benny in this. Like, he's uh, he, he's solid here. Like, again, I think I found him pretty believable. It's just kind of the. Yeah, I mean, he's he's, he's done enough now where his like Wikipedia page isn't like a, a co-Wikipedia page with Josh anymore. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's done enough uh, things on his own to get uh, his own. Um, he was also I don't know if you remember this guy, but he was also in Pieces of a Woman. I don't remember that. I don't remember a whole lot about that movie except for the beginning. But yeah, that's uh, fair. I think he was, was um, her brother, Vanessa Kirby's brother. Sure. I do remember there's like a big scene with the whole family Maybe? and everything that. Yeah, because I know Sarah Snook was her sister. Yeah, I think she had a brother, but I'm not. I could be wrong about that. Ellen Burstyn. You know what? I I think I think I think maybe Benny Safdie is Sarah Snook's husband or something like that. I don't actually think they're really. It doesn't matter. This is a side note that we don't need to go down. Yeah. 
that really not a movie I thought we would ever be talking about again. Honestly, in any well, we're only talking about because I looked up I looked up uh, Benny Safdie's filmography and saw that yeah. that was on there. I did not remember. Right. I would not have been able to tell you that. Yeah, that he was in that film either. Anyway, Scott, um, you've mentioned obviously we've been talking. We've both been talking about it throughout. The sort of the prevailing theme of this movie, perhaps, uh, is a commentary on religion and the fact that Margaret um, is torn between the two religions her father's jewish her mother's christian she's been told that she can kind of choose for herself as part of this research project she's going around and sort of experiencing other uh, you know various religions i mean she goes to temple with her grandmother with kathy bates she Mm -hmm. goes to her friend janie's like you know church which um is more like gospel influenced um you know obviously african-american church she goes to um she wanders into the catholic uh, church after laura the the girl in their class who they tease um too off here and like, out. yeah go, goes into the the confession booth for a second but um it all sort of culminates like we've been saying with the big scene with the grandparents first of all and kathy bates just showed up at the door i was like oh baby here we go um unexpectedly but let kathy come. um and you know, obviously Margaret has had this running prayer throughout the movie. You know, we see her um, at particularly stressful times where she will she will pray. And again, she'll say, are you there, God? Like, just like the title. And nothing seems to be going her way. Then all the grandparents show up. They ruin everything because they get in a fight about her religious upbringing, which one that she is going to choose. And eventually she she tells her parents and everybody at the end of the scene, you know, I don't want to choose a religion. I don't want to be part of a religion. I don't even think I believe in God. Um, And that's almost the end of it, except the very last scene of the movie when Margaret does finally get her period for the first time um, and is very happy that this developmental milestone has finally happened for her. Her mom leaves the room and she says, you know, thank you, God. Are you there, God? Thank you, God. a whole thank you a whole lot or something like that and that's literally the last line of the movie um what do you, you think you about have all- left out the middle scene where she goes outside and pays the neighborhood kid who she has a crush on and he has to hang out with her when he gets back when she gets back from camp or whatever i don't remember that kid's name but yeah but then she goes back up and that's when she does the, no i said you left right? the scene in the middle between those two where she oh yeah sure yeah, yeah. sure but anyway, things start looking up for her everything's coming up millhouse for her and um she decides to um I mean, she she kind of goes back on her earlier word, it seems, and says and, and talks to God directly. What do you make of all this, Scott? What do you make of that final moment, I guess, of Margaret um, talking to God again after she said maybe she doesn't believe in God, but then all these positive things start happening to her. And it's like, oh, I'm back. Yeah, I was going to have a similar question for you, not specifically about the final moment of the film, but I'm I'm curious. I guess sort of tangentially related to that, and then I will answer your question. Do you what what do you make of her parents sort of in this too? Because obviously it paints all the grandparents in a bad light. But what do you think of the parents like perspective on like actively telling her, no, don't go to like don't like they're not telling her no, you can't go to temple or no, you can't go to church, but they're like encouraging her just to not to. And I'm curious if you have a perspective on that. Cause I do think that it tries to paint them in like, well, we're not sure they're making the right decision either. And I'm curious what you thought about that. Yes, but I think you understand their point of view so much more again because of what happened with with uh, Barbara's parents, with Richard McAdams' character's parents, like, (laughs) you know, they have been so jaded by this experience, even though the mom is Christian, the dad is Jewish, like, we're told that. It doesn't seem like either one of them is practicing, like, their religion very much. Like, it doesn't seem like religion plays any sort of part in their household. Um, And so, and I think a lot of that is because of their experience, right, with the fact that their religion ended up being the cause of this divide in the extended families and Mm -hmm. you know faith or not maybe they practice still practice their faith on their own but they're not really bringing it into the household and they're very they're trying to just be overly cautious towards margaret because they don't want to come across as doing the same thing that obviously that barbara's parents did to her Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of how I interpreted it. Yeah, I agree with you. That they don't necessarily portray it in the most positive way because they're they're kind of keep acting like, well, you're not necessarily old enough. Like you don't need to decide this. Yeah, yet. they're they're almost um, like scolding her at times for yeah. 
being curious. being experimental or however you want to phrase it exploring her religiosity i don't know sure I, I, again the way i interpreted it was they're just they've been kind of so Jaded traumatized by, yeah, by their yeah. past experience that that's fair um they really just don't want to come across as pushing margaret in any one direction yeah i think that makes sense i and i, I think to go back and answer your question I sort of I didn't actually read that much into it because I sort of view the sort of outburst with the grandparents as almost this. I just really want you all to stop arguing. And I'm going to say this thing that I don't like. Maybe I believe it. Maybe I don't. Who I don't even know. But I'm just going to I'm just going to I'm just going to say this thing to get everyone to shut up and leave. And that's what it was. And so the fact that you you have her narrating these these prayers and other parts of the story through the whole film and i think there is a genuine questioning of what because of so many things so many prayers not being answered i guess is maybe the way to put it i think there is a an understandable question of that but i think at the end of the day what it finds is that that outburst was just that outburst and i think that overall that exploration of religion whether it be judaism or whether it be christianity i think is still there and I wasn't surprised at the end by her sort of returning to that character trait of hers because I didn't really view the outburst as something that was very finite at the end of the day sure. either. Yeah, I, I mean, yes and no, because I do think at the end she is still committed to the idea of not being part of a religion, right? Sure. I think the movie is making a clear distinction between religion yes. and faith. Sure, and I would definitely agree with that, yeah. That's why I'm saying I think that this part ages really well because the statistics show that young people nowadays, many of them will say that they, you know, believe in some higher power, but are not necessarily part of an organized religion, uh -huh. are not going to church, whatever. And a lot of that is because of what we see in this film, right? That religions nowadays and denominations and you know factions and whatnot um can develop into a lot of petty arguments that seem to overshadow the actual you know point, point of why everyone is all in this together um and yeah. so you know i think the movie was kind of ahead of its time in acknowledging maybe you know that hey faith, faith can kind of be this individual thing it doesn't have to be part of this collective religion, right? Because she says, Margaret says at one point, like, why is it that the only time like that I feel like you're listening to me or whatever is we're alone when, when I'm alone, something like that, she says to, to God, to mm -hmm. the higher power. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, some of it, I, again, I like, it's kind of like, um, you know, she's still immature, right? She's still a kid, right? She's not getting what she wants instantly from her prayers. So it's like, I'm going to turn against, you know, God, I don't believe he's actually there. And then the second fortunes turn around and she starts getting, you know, positive results. It's like, oh, thank you so much. I knew you were there the whole time. Um, again, I, it's believable for like an 11 year old again, who totally. Yeah. But it, it's it's the lesson in patience, I guess, is is kind of what the movie is saying in the end. But then again, I also think that there is this sort of message about individuality and coming to these big moments in your life on your own time and being comfortable with your own, you know, the own the speed of your life, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Like we see that aspect again because it takes her time to understand how she wants to approach her faith and religion and everything going forward but we also see it in the the puberty context and um you know she's very anxious throughout the entire movie about her breasts not growing um mm -hmm. you know some hilarious comedic moments that happen with that where they're doing yeah. a ritual <laughs> to try mm -hmm. and uh and fix that um, and then, you know, she doesn't get her period at the same time as other girls. I mean, it's much later than other girls. And that is embarrassing to her because everyone is talking about it. You know, she wants to seem grown up like the other girls. So, again, it's about she has to come to that on her own time. Um, it takes yeah. her the whole movie to do that. Um, but I think that's just why the movie is a good coming of age movie, because it's like, you know, you are 
you are growing up and part of growing up and becoming an adult is learning to do things on your own and, uh, you know, be patient and, um, and, and things will come, come to you. Um, so I, I liked the, the place that the movie chose to end on. Um, sure. and I think there's, yeah, there's certainly interesting conversation that can be had about what that final moment means when she, you know, talks to God again and um, does seem to acknowledge the presence of some higher being there. So, um, again, kind of ahead of its time. I liked it a lot. Um, smart way to end the film. Scott, anything else you want to talk about here before we move into wrap up? I think we kind of covered most of the major points and, you know, the one or two area where areas where maybe we had some misgivings about um, the movie, but we, we've glossed over some of the, maybe the comedy elements of the film. Sure. Uh, there's a, a good bit uh, where Rachel McAdams joins 50,000 different school. Uh, I don't know, like uh, committees. Uh, yeah. yeah. PTA groups. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the right word for it that is. And then she has to cut a thousand stars to be glued onto the ceiling of the gymnasium. Well, um, it ends up being 2000 because then uh, the mom yeah, asked yeah, her to redo yeah. somebody else's who didn't do it. Do it. Well. Did you, did you uh, think Nancy's that someone mom, else right? didn't do them well? Or do you think that that woman was just trying to pawn hers off onto her and come up with an excuse why? Yeah. E- either one is believable, I think. Yeah. Cause then, you know, um, later in the movie like the last moment we have with nancy's mom she's like oh hey you know we're we're starting some new committees and i yeah. thought about you for a few of them yeah and, and rachel mcadams is like, well, honestly, McAdams is like i don't Bye. give a shit <laughs> yeah. yeah which is again it's, it's a it's a nice payoff for her character she does have a legitimate arc in this movie but but no that's that was one of the funnier i guess that was one of my favorite scenes probably is when she has she finishes this humongous box of yeah stars and She's like, oh, can you do another thousand? And she's like, yeah, maybe I'll kill myself instead. Um, <laughs> are you are, so? Are you going with that for your favorite scene or moment then from the film? I, I would probably have chosen the the scene where you're talking about where she she describes her relationship with her parents to yeah to Margaret, but to just because we already talked about that, and, and I do think that we've maybe underrated the comedy in this. I think this film is pretty funny. I do we didn't too, talk man. to we didn't talk too much about the comedy in it. Um, yeah, I'll point out to the, the stars is a funny bit. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good scene. Um, I think there's a pretty well done spin the bottle scene, which I guess I will shout out, where they go to the house of this wow. one okay. dweeby kid. Uh, dweeby I think I just kid. appreciated that it was tastefully done because when this kind of started, you know, again we're talking about like eleven and twelve year olds here. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like where this is going because it's they're doing the two minutes in a closet or whatever. Um, and I was like, what's about to happen here? I just thought that they they walked a nice line with that. And that kid is uh, such a douche. Oh my god. Yeah, Philip Leroy. Yeah. Is, uh, the heartthrob that uh, Margaret gets to go in the closet with for for two minutes and um, you know, initially thinks, Oh hey, you know, I actually like this guy. But that's mainly because everyone else Nancy, is telling her that she yeah. should. Um yeah. and you know, he very soon reveals himself fully, Scott, as you said, to be a, a D-bag. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we talked about most of my favorite scenes already. So just to say something different, I thought that that was handled very well. I mean, we've seen this sort of scene before in, in movie in coming of age movies, but I thought it worked. Got to say last last comment before we before we give this a score. Scott Hans Zimmer scored this film. Yeah, the person I was talking to beforehand pointed that out to me as well. I don't know how you would ever even know that, honestly, because because there's a soundtrack. too. I mean, there's a lot of like 70s songs that are in the film and stuff. So um, pretty funny. He had to to get warmed up for Dune Part 2, I guess. I guess so. All right, let's put a score on it, Scott. Uh, What do you give uh, this film? Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, out of 10. 8-1. It's a 9-0 for me. I loved it. Um, April has been a great month for film, Scott. I have to say, going into the month, there were like four or five movies that I was really looking forward to. All of them delivered between Air, between Bo is Afraid, this film, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And then I also saw Showing Up this weekend, um, which you know you saw last year at the New York Film Festival, the Kelly Reichert movie. 
mm-hmm. loved that as well. Another one of my favorites from the year. Um, so I'm really happy with, you know, how this, this month has gone, which is a good thing because the next month or month and a half, it could get a little rough. So, uh, just based just on the next month, on we got, we got to cross the spider verse at the start of June. But anyway, great film, great way to end the month with uh, this movie. If you're interested in coming of age films at all, this feels like it could be a, you know, kind of a classic going forward. And Kelly Freeman Craig already made one of those. So I think, um, I hope she doesn't wait seven years to make another, another, she already has, she already has another film. That's like already been filmed. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but um, I am very much wild game. It's about a, like a middle-aged woman's relationship with her mother. Okay, so it's something a, different. It's a memoir. Again, it's based on a memoir. She's so. definitely established herself as not just a one one hit wonder at this point. So, looking forward to that one. There you go. All right, Scott, we are going to take a short break uh, and when we come back, casting news, we'll be right back. episode of some like it scott scott we were talking about it during the break there uh, but this is going to be an all paul mescal news section certainly not uh, something i'm sorry about one of our favorite actors um, right now and somebody who has a lot of exciting projects on uh, his radar going forward um, tell us more about the gladiator sequel i believe we have talked about this movie before yeah um, yeah we, de- we definitely did it. talk about this movie before because i think we talked about paul mescal being the lead Washington. in the film, yeah, Barry Keegan, Denzel Washington. I don't know if we talked about Connie Nielsen being in the movie, but the cast is already stacked. And today we learned that it's getting one more person added to it who became known for his roles in TV shows, still is known for his roles in TV shows, to be fair. But uh, he dipped his toe in the film water over the last few years to mixed success, I would say. Not the most stellar outing in Wonder Woman 1984 as the villain, Maxwell Lord, um, but did receive, I think, pretty good reviews for his uh, film that he did with Nicolas Cage last year called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I think people did like Pedro Pascal in that role, obviously super famous and very hot right now because of, I think, mainly The Last of Us, but also the fact that he has been the Mandalorian for three seasons and the third season did just, I believe, wrap up last week on that show. And Game of Thrones before that, Narcos, he's been in a lot of very high-profile TV shows. Um, Obviously, Game of Thrones, he wasn't a lead character in that. He had a a minor supporting role, but that catapulted him into the conversation on other TV shows. And he will be joining the cast here that we mentioned. So uh, this isn't necessarily a big news story, a big news story that we need to discuss further because there's no more additional information really coming out around it. But we know Pedro Pascal has joined the cast. And Scott, this is just like quickly rocking up the list of like man this like thing has shot off like a rocket ship um i can't yeah, wait for this i know this isn't coming out until probably the end of next year if not 2025 but um yeah right now it's slated for november 22nd 2024 if it holds its date but i'm very i expect this to be on my most anticipated list of next year it would be hard to imagine like a more a buzzier cast like than than what really scott has assembled here because um Man, you know, again, you talk about Paul Meskel and Barry Keegan, two actors that have just come off their first Oscar nomination, um, two of like the hottest young actors right now um, and, and most talked about um, in sort of their age bracket. You talk about an absolute legend in Denzel Washington. And then, yeah, you you talk about heartthrob Pedro Pascal, who has now been introduced into the the fold. Like you said, The Last of Us being his his big um big break recently but uh you know certainly in the past few years has had several big credits to his name just seems like somebody that is just kind of universally liked and admired um definitely i think i think literally everyone loves pedro pascal has pretty much you know a a very devoted fan base out there so um he's gonna be in cohen's movie later this year called drive away dolls he's in that film with that ridiculous ensemble cast as well i believe 
Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to this movie. If people's attention weren't wasn't already on it because of the cast and because it's Ridley Scott and because it's a Gladiator sequel, um, I think this is just another another thing that will hopefully ensure that this movie does not flop like Ridley Scott's last two movies did. I feel like it might, but I don't care. It at least has a you know. A, ostensibly has some ip attached it has to it, right? i mean it does have ip yeah. attached although no returning actors from that from the movie i don't think well connie nielsen was in oh sure yeah but, right connie yeah. nielsen yeah that's true that's but, not um, a draw for people i would imagine scott we don't talk about box office on here i mean i know that we do sometimes but we didn't talk about the fact that uh are you there god it's me margaret flopped this past weekend so we don't need to talk about whether ridley scott's next movie is going to flop either. evil dead rise has made like 85 million though so horror movies like they're just they're doing the business yeah nbc universal has the exorcist a legacy sequel later this year scott if evil dead rise is doing 85 million at the box office that thing is going to combust you would think you would certainly think all right scott again and and on my side of the paul mescal news side of things is uh this new film that he is going to well not necessarily that he has been officially cast in yet but he is rumored to be cast as one of the leads in a film called Hamnet that is coming out. This is an adaptation of a historical fiction novel um, that is, again, it's fictional. It's about a Shakespeare's wife, but her name is Agnes in this film. And that wasn't the name of Shakespeare's wife in real life again. So it's all, it's all fictional, but um, it is, uh, it is based on this book and Paul Mescal is being rumored uh, to be cast in the film seems like he would most likely play Shakespeare, um, which would be awesome. And the uh, person who is also rumored to be cast alongside him playing what I would assume to be the lead role of, of Agnes is uh, Jesse Buckley. Um, you know, maybe my favorite actress working right now, Oscar nominee. Um, you know, she, she, we just most recently saw her, I guess in men was her last, was that the last thing we saw her in um, last year? The Alex Garland film women talking. Of course. Yeah. She was in women talking as well. Had some Oscar buzz, but sort of fell off for that movie, but two movies. I wasn't a very big fan of men and women talking. I think she's good in both movies, but not a fan of either men or women, men talking. or women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, these two have been in a movie together before, although I don't think that they've shared the screen. They were both in The Lost Daughter, although they were in different timelines in that film, so I'm not sure that they ever really interacted with each other on set. I, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't a fan of those films, but um, I think she's amazing, you know, from films like The Lost Daughter, like I'm thinking of ending things like Wild Rose. Again, amazing actress, and Paul Mescal, like I said, one of our favorite actors right now, so this is... Uh, this would be incredible casting if both of them are in this film about Shakespeare, something that I'm interested in, you know, read a lot of Shakespeare in college, definitely have a, a um, interest in, in Shakespeare and all things related to him. I'm a Shakespeare love defender. This seems like maybe sort of a, well, another gonna, side. A, yeah. That's what I was about to say. Another, right? Shakespeare in love is the room is the other side of Romeo yeah. and Juliet or whatever. This is the other side of Hamlet. I think it's because it's going to be about the loss of their child. Hamnet um, is going to be some of the the driver of the plot here. But the other thing, Scott, which I've hidden ball on here, this film is slated to be directed by Chloe Zhao. And, you know, I have been very curious, Scott, about what Chloe Zhao was going to do after the Eternals. I was such a big fan of her first three films. And then then she made the Eternals Um, and it was going to be interesting to see how she comes back from that. You know, was she going to continue along this vein of making big sort of IP driven films or what she returned to her roots. Um, seems like maybe she's finding a middle ground a little bit here. Obviously, you know, this is a big literary adaptation. We also know that she's going to be making that Dracula film um, that I think we've discussed yeah. maybe on the podcast too. So I think like again, last week we talked about it. Yeah. So she's got a couple of things in the pipeline that are exciting projects. Like I, I'm excited that, she seems to be, I mean, again, not necessarily getting back to her roots, but making the films that she hopefully is passionate about and wants to make. Um, I got, I got to say, Scott, I know you don't, you don't watch Barry, but the latest episode from last night, I don't know if you saw this on on Twitter. It was not just a joke about her, Scott. It was a full scene 
just absolutely gutting <laughs> gutting her um <laughs> to be fair it wasn't necessarily directed at chloe zhao it's more bill Hader saying marvel dc please never approach me to create a comic book movie for you he has this scene where um sean Hader, real life sean Hader, is directing they literally call her academy like like academy award winning for coda sean Hader. Uh, directing the superhero film that's just like they just openly talk about how much trash it is it's just so funny it i had me in stitches uh watching it last night it, it was not mean-spirited towards chloe zhao but uh, my reaction to that is like why didn't they literally just get chloe zhao to do this scene sounds like people just hate to see women succeed scott that's what i'm hearing the the writers of barry just hate seeing women get paid but i'm, I'm kidding obviously but yeah. um they made it very clear that yeah. sean Hader was getting paid though um sure just not not for her I'm craft maybe making a superhero movie out of it but anyway scott i you know basically what this boils down to is one of my favorite directors two of my favorite actors and subject matter i'm very much interested in so in the same way that gladiator is going to be high on your most anticipated list whenever this is going to come out it will be the same for me i would imagine sure i'd expect so all right, Scott, uh, that should do it for this episode of Some Like It. Scott, where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton 2013 And I am at Scarvy Dent on all platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, uh, we please don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash pods. We have a lot of tiers over there where you can support us. But even if you can't support us, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which Scott and our friend of the pod, Jay Habib, will be reviewing the brand new MCU entry, Guardians of the Galaxy of Volume 3. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.